0: Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Dark Man and Dick Tracy. That's a superhero who could change his face, and a detective who goes against guys with wacky faces. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols, which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted.
1: Now, so I was going to say, at the very least, that same convention, they released uh, Puppet Master X, mm-hmm. whatever the 10th one is and uh so i bought it on blu-ray for like 10 or no i bought it on dvd for like 10 or 15 i can't remember which one one of them that i was just like you know what i'm not spending the full price on the blu-ray because this could be questionable and then like 20 minutes after i bought it he made an announcement from his booth that uh they were going to sell the blu-ray for the exact same price i paid for the dvd and i was like well son of a bitch i would have waited So I went through the line and just asked him, like, hey, I literally just bought this, like, 15 minutes ago. And I definitely would have bought the Blu-ray if I would have known you were going to have a little price drop. Can I just swap it out? He looked at me for, like, a second, but then he was like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And just let me just swap it out. So Nice. For someone who uh, is very much, we all know, does it to, to milk as much money as he possibly can out of people, at least wasn't a complete dick about it.
2: We've told that story on this podcast before.
1: Yeah, still.
2: All still right. a good story.
3: <laughs> Alright.
1: I mean, we can talk about Liam Neeson being racist more if you
2: want. It's bound to come up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was cutting the episode together and I'm just like, Jesus. We talked about that for a long
3: time. And, we'll, and we're also get to talk about the fact that I remember Dick Tracy being a kid's movie. <laughs>
1: and, oh, I, don't, mean, and I
2: don't think it is all of
1: sexual in the window sexual tension I'm the whole time
2: reasonably confident you see Madonna's nipple in that you absolutely do
1: you, everybody just cut out I didn't hear what you said
2: uh, we're just someone nipples it's fine you get to see Madonna's teats we'll get to that later
1: um, uh, that might
2: not have been their fault though it was pretty hard to get Madonna's clothes on back then
1: I was watching at work did I miss
2: something apparently
3: Apparently, were you watching it and in, in Blu-ray quality, 1080p? I think that's the secret. Well, man,
1: I was watching it on my phone, which can, <laughs> which can stream 1080p. And I was watching it on voodoo, but
3: yeah, but you know. need a you need a magnifying glass to see anything. Pretty much. Well, shit.
1: Why don't we just get into it, <laughs> Noah? You run down Dick Tracy, Dick
3: Tracy, based off of the uh serial, uh, is awesome. I don't know. Uh, it's the story of Dick Tracy, a detective esque, noir kind of character, although kind of noir in a weird anti noir way, (laughs) seeing how everything's brightly colored. And that uh, goes on a primary colored laced adventure against every fucking villain ever put in the comic strip in the history of the comic strip, <laughs> which is actually kind of fucking impressive. If you stop and think about it uh, with Al Pacino taking on the role of the main bad guy of uh, big boy, big boy, uh, and Madonna stepping into the role of Breathless Mahoney, the singer-slash-femme-fatale character. Uh, and other than that, it is both everything you think it is and not at all what you think it is. I mean, it's pretty much... If if you put it in that category of what it, what it was, which is kind of a knockoff of the 1980s Batman... Mm-hmm. that's yeah that's pretty much it like <laughs> which only that's came out like a year before get, yeah I mean down to the the Danny Elfman soundtrack
2: yeah well I mean it's everything we're going to talk about today is movies that were green lit because the hype around Batman was so excessive that everyone knew it was going to be a big hit and they all wanted their superhero movie out the next year right like that was the yeah.
1: Thing. yeah both these movies came out in 1990 and they both had yeah. soundtracks by Danny Elfman
2: yeah and I mean, like, it's not. I mean, that I know, Brian, you're very happy to have just got your Blu ray copy of the 1990 Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a lot going on right then. Like, people saw Batman coming and were like, we want to be the next one. And so they started green lighting these types of movies. Yeah. Um, obviously, that was a huge mistake in the case of Dick Tracy <laughs> because of what an abysmal failure of a film this is. Um. um on just to at every imaginable level is that there might be one i'm not thinking of actually maybe the score is not bad cuz the score is reminiscent of Art, like a
3: did you just call warren Beatty's most profitable film that won 3 academy awards a dismal failure
2: yep um okay i said i said a <laughs> dismal uh, but I think we mean the same thing. Yeah, the movie is utterly... It has no idea what it is. It has no idea what it's about. It just throws random characters at the screen. It refuses to commit to being into any one of the universes. Um, it kind of pretends to be a live-action movie when it's convenient or when the actor doesn't feel like wearing makeup. It, you know, it. the special effects are bad. The acting's bad. There is no story. Um. Like the little kid from Hook is like the best actor in the movie, even though Al Pacino's in this and Dustin Hoffman's in this, and like it is fascinating how bad this movie is. I, had to, I had to like stop it and watch the end later because otherwise I wouldn't have watched the end at all.
3: Ca- Counterpoint?
2: Uh,
3: no. <laughs> bad, bad Doug. Bad.
2: No, okay, yes, but except I'm making actual points. Um, no, like, this movie, like, okay, so it's set in this weird cartoon universe. This, this is, this, to me, this epitomizes what this movie is. It's in this weird cartoon universe where, like, the, all the backgrounds look like map paintings and everything. And all the people wear these, like, bright colored suits. And then every time Dick Tracy goes inside, he takes off his bright yellow jacket, and he's just wearing a normal suit. With a giant yellow hat, which makes him no longer a cartoon character, but just an asshole in a yellow hat.
3: Well, that's because he's plain, plain clothes, Tracy.
2: That's you're not saying anything, which is very much what this movie did.
3: I, I, this movie no, was very, no, that is that is actually a reference to the Dick Tracy uh, comic, comic strip.
2: Okay, well, I don't believe that If the if the Dick Tracy comic strip consisted of a character who became Plain Clothes Tracy by going... No, he, he, was, he was originally he
3: supposed to be called Plain Clothes Tracy. Alright. And right.
2: uh, one of the publishers changed his name. Alright. I don't care. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> any interest I had in Dick Tracy comics is gone as a result of me seeing this movie. This movie is nothing but like a Hollywood vanity project from a guy who shouldn't be allowed to direct movies Um, who refused to let himself look cartoonish on camera despite asking everyone else to do so Um, you know if you're going to make a movie where all of the villains have this ridiculously bad makeup on to intentionally make them look like morons then everybody has to kind of put the makeup on and everybody has to be a cartoon character you can't just have some people do it and others not Um, you know if you're gonna have a movie where madonna plays this femme fatale character you have to like have something happen with that character that's vaguely interesting because otherwise you just keep cutting to her singing for no reason except for that one scene where clearly Al Pacino's like bonus for getting to be in the movie was patting all the girls in the asses repeatedly it it was just cuz that was like a 4 minute scene of him just sexually harassing women while they were dancing which is just weird and served no purpose um yeah i this movie was nonsense. There was no through storyline that I could pick up on. Did you guys? Do you guys know what this movie's about? Because Noah tried to give us a plot description and said there were a lot of villains.
3: It's it's about big boy trying to take over the crime world, but uh, no real faces real. behind the scenes fucking with stuff. That's that's pretty much it. And Dick Tracy trying to stop them. There was a little
2: kid orphan in this movie.
3: Yeah, his name's Kid.
2: Yeah, I know.
1: Until he becomes Dick Tracy Jr.
3: Yeah,
2: until he becomes Dick Tracy. Yeah, they had they made a fucking movie about mobsters with Al Pacino, James Caan, and fucking Paul Sorvino in it in 1990, <laughs> and they somehow screwed that up and made none of those interesting characters. That's fascinating to me.
1: Hmm. Well, I will say I fall somewhere probably between you guys.
2: You always do. <laughs> <laughs> There's always such a gap between us that it's easy to slide in there.
1: Well, while I feel like it does come off a little uh, overly cartoonish, um, with the super super bright colors on
3: everything,
1: uh, I don't know. I didn't hate it. Or they were but
3: trying to they were trying to make it look like the comic book, which I kind of I kind of get that.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, no sure I get that too we trying to do,
1: I get that too it's just I don't know it didn't the, work for me a whole lot in this movie
2: it's just it's, it's a lazy man's attempt to make it look like a comic book though right like it's somebody who sees the bright colors in a comic and thinks that's what matters and doesn't use Like we'll, we'll discuss it when we get to the next movie but there's there are people who know how to make movies look like comic books and it's not by trying to copy the picture over that's not how it works mm-hmm. Right, like when you change mediums, you have to maybe alter certain things to make it look a, look a little different. And just, I don't know. This this movie was. Sorry, I cut you off, Brian. Because I no, just no, I just got upset again. Pumped <laughs> <Don't get> crazy. <laughs>
1: um, like I did enjoy some of the, um, sort of I guess gangster intrigue. Uh, it's a little, it's a little, uh, lighthearted in this movie, obviously. Um, but I didn't mind it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I had another point, but I completely forgot what it
3: was. I don't know. I think pretty much every, every second that Al Pacino is on screen in this movie is fucking awesome.
1: Well, I do think this is like Warren Beatty, just like calling all of his friends up. Oh, clearly, yeah. Saying they gave me however many millions of dollars to make this ridiculous movie. Uh, Do you want to come hang out on the set for however amount of time it takes for us to shoot your part? And then between takes, we'll just fuck around and probably drink a lot and see if they will show us her boobs or whatever.
2: It was probably more like him saying, look, I'm this." Hollywood figure and you guys all owe me for something that happened in the 60s because <laughs> it's it's just it's insane the amount of people that are in this movie that show up for relatively small parts and just have to kind of make fools of themselves while Warren Beatty gets to be the guy in the black suit like you know what I mean like he doesn't have to do anything ridiculous
3: which is like, which is also kind of funny because in, in a movie absolutely filled with Random bit characters, uh, BD is absolutely the most forgettable part of the entire film.
1: That is very true. For me, for supposed to be like this amazing cop that everybody knows and everybody sort of roots for, he's very bland.
2: Oh, yeah. And I like, I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't know if he's doing like, he's trying to do bad acting like in a campy way on purpose or if he's trying to act tough or like exactly what it is he's trying to do a part of it is the dialogue which i mean as he was also the director he i guess he could have updated the dialogue if he didn't like it but it's like when they're walking along and they're at the very beginning of the movie which before i'd given up on it so the first 35 seconds when they start the press is like following him out of like on his date and asking him if he wants to be the chief of police and stuff and he's doing the i'd never sit behind a desk i'm and i'm like i don't know if he thinks he's being like cool tough guy 80s cop who wouldn't take a desk job because he'd rather be out there fighting the criminals or if he's mocking that stereotype or what it is he's doing and that's well, a problem because you need to be doing one of the two things
1: mm-hmm. well i do feel like maybe he was trying and failing to uh, channel maybe more of like the '40s, like noir stuff. But I don't think he understood what that meant. Yeah. Okay. There's hey, like, there's hey. like the dialogue back and forth, like in those movies, did not match up what he's doing whatsoever. And I just don't. I think he got. I feel like they got confused at some point. I think hundred percent know what they were
3: doing. I I think he shares the same problem because supposedly uh, Warren Beatty is actually like a humongous Dick Tracy fan which is why he clung so desperately onto this movie and once he had the rights fucked everyone out of ever trying to redo it ever again Mm. but uh, I feel like it's the same problem as the Nick Cage Ghost Rider movie Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the passion and the love was there but unfortunately, the person behind the steering wheel with all that love was not the best person to be in the role in the fucking first place. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like, like, I, Don't get me wrong, I don't hate Nick Cage for loving Ghost Rider and pushing really, really fucking hard to be in a Ghost Rider movie, but he had no fucking business being Ghost Rider. No. Same thing with Beattie and Dick Tracy.
2: Yeah, I, I mean... I'm I just I don't think Baby had any business in the role. I don't think he had any business directing this movie. You know, if you love a character, you try to destroy it. You should you should <laughs> maybe produce the movie and hire people who knew how to make the movie to make it.
3: Well, they had a really hard time getting a director and filling the lead role. I I yeah. think. Beatty just kind of lucked out and was in the right place at the right time.
2: Well, yeah, because I understand the movie was probably, was in development from throughout much of the 80s and it probably was that whole, like, well, what do we have going on now that it looks like Batman is going to take over the world? Well, we have this comic strip movie over here. Alright, let's rush that one through. And Beatty just happened to be the guy involved at that time. Right. But- Tim,
3: Tim Burton was supposed to do it and then he decided to do Edward Scissorhands. Good decision. Yep, <laughs> Macaulay Culkin was supposed to play kid. He decided to do Home Alone. Good decision. Yep, <laughs> I think that's true. With a, uh, there's a lot of stuff. If you read all the like people who fell off the project, they all went on to do these amazing like classic movies. <laughs> you almost feel bad that you're like, oh fuck, I forgot. I forgot all that stuff came out right around the same time as this. No wonder this kind of gets lost in that era
2: and you, you could kind of see that too though like if burton's batman was coming up and you have a similar movie i mean take this movie and give it a once-over by tim burton it would change drastically those backgrounds would become darker and probably a lot of those colors would be toned down and everything like that. and then maybe it's less ridiculous at that point right and maybe guys like al pacino are seeing or hearing more like jack Nicholson. And thinking they can get in on that mm. And yeah, that's a good point I mean, the, I, like the, the unfortunate I truth i don't is know maybe just like i don't know i don't know and i don't feel like they knew whether this movie is meant to be comedic or whether it's meant to be serious i don't feel like mm-hmm. they knew whether this movie was supposed to be a cartoon or a live action movie um, like I said, like if, if you put half the people in the movie behind heavy makeup and the other half aren't, it looks pretty ridiculous. And the makeup's not even good. So why not either put nobody behind weird, ridiculous makeup or everybody? That would require, you know, Warren Beatty to put on something himself to make himself look a little more like a cartoon character. I don't if, know. Because he's the director, he's not willing to do that.
3: See, once, once again, you keep talking about how bad that makeup is. I don't have a problem with any of the makeup in this. Movie. Well,
2: I don't understand how you can feel that way. I don't I don't know how you can feel the opposite way. <laughs> I,
3: I just none of it I mean, good. I mean once again this this movie did win a whole bunch of awards and I do believe one of them was for special
2: effects makeup. Once again, Oscars are bullshit. Uh, <laughs> we, we all seem to agree to that every week, so we can continue to agree to that now. And- Right I,
1: I don't. I don't hate the
2: makeup. Like I like
1: the makeup, but I do think it is kind of jarring that like all these villains have this weird, exaggerated look, and then all you, all the normy people, just look like regular people.
3: Yeah, it's just... yeah but once again, if,
2: if that's the way the comic book looked,
1: sure, and I get that too.
2: Again, yeah, and I'll, I'll remake my point that you got to change things up when you're changing mediums in order to tell the same story because things don't make sense.
3: Yeah, but at the same time, quit changing shit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Apparently they didn't change This time around cuz
3: I have to say and a lot of the a lot of the complaints about the movie are justified. The fact that it's it's like cheesy and and weird at parts is 100% true. But I also think upon rewatching like the Michael Keaton Batman movies, I would say the exact
2: same thing about
3: them. They're cheesy and oh, weird. I'll, and
2: I'll like, agree that Batman 89 does not hold up as much as, it's not as dark bad. and serious as people like to think it is. Right. Um, it was just the kind of the most dark, serious thing that people had at the time. But it it's a lot closer to Batman 66 than people like to think of it.
3: Right, right. And and once again, I'm not not shitting on that movie either, because I fucking love that movie. It's just... It has not aged well. And actually, the weird thing about Dick Tracy is I remember seeing it as a kid and not liking it all that much. And I think now I like it more than I did back then. Just because I can kind of respect what they were going for, even if what they were going for didn't completely work through the entire movie. But a lot of it, like trying to do, trying to do those strict like eight-color panel colorings in the movie. While you might not like it, and it's a weird stylistic choice, it's pretty fucking bold. Like that's a ballsy, interesting move. I mean, I guess did we just lose Brian? I think we did. Yeah, he's sick of us fighting.
2: But. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Hopefully he'll come back. <laughs> I see what you're saying. that it It is a bold move to try and do these like primary color only shots. And that's great, but I don't feel like they committed to it. Do you know what I mean? I feel like when it was convenient, they wanted to make this seem like the real world. And then when they didn't, they went back to the bright colors. And that's sort of my point about when Dick Tracy goes inside, he takes his yellow coat off. And he's wearing a plain black suit that could be from any era and you're right. like well no you're if you're if the whole thing here is that you're dick tracy and you're wearing like the dick tracy uniform and we're going to make it look as much as possible like then you got to stick to that and again maybe some makeup to make his face look more like a an old comic book panel face where there was a lot less expression and stuff would have made sense in those circumstances i'm not sure exactly how you do that but you know you
3: yeah, I don't know. Once again, I th- I think the biggest problem with Dick Tracy is the fact that it's Warren Beatty.
2: You see, I don't I don't know and Warren Beatty can be a good actor. I, see, I, I don't know Warren Beatty full like full of disclosure. I've seen this and I've seen that one where he's the rapping politician. Um right. which I'm not planning to revisit. So I don't remember. I think it came out in the late 90s, and I don't I don't need to know whether it's good or not. But i just feel like in in this movie he's not capable he's because i don't he's so bad that i can't tell what he's trying to do so i don't know if he's not capable of being campy and comedic or i don't know if he is accidentally coming across a little bit campy and comedic um but either way it's like you're not he's not successful in the role and i just i don't know who you would put in that role because i don't know what they were trying to do with Character,
3: yeah, and I think that's accurate. I mean, the earlier choices for the mo- for uh, Dick are pretty fucking wildly different from one another. <laughs> okay, like uh, at one point when ah, oh, what's his name? Uh, the director of the Twilight Zone movie,
2: uh, oh, this is it John Landis?
3: John Landis, so. So John Landis was slotted to direct this movie. and was like locked in when the Twilight Zone accident happened. Okay. And they dropped him because they were like, fuck, no, you just yeah. fucking killed somebody. Yeah. Hell, hell to the no, we're out. <laughs> like,
2: Too so, many big names in this movie. We can't have you killing people.
3: Yeah. And so when he was slotted to direct... the the top pick for Dick Tracy was Clint fucking Eastwood in which what a different movie that is. Like (laughs) I can't even imagine, like it's not even remotely close to the same movie. If you plug Clint Eastwood (sighs) into that role, it's so different. Yeah. Or then like some of the other ones I'm trying to think Clint Eastwood, Tom Selleck at one point was the guy. Um, Man, I can't. there's like 10. There's like 10 different people they cycled through. And all of them, so if I remember right, Eastwood kind of was into it until Landis got fired and then he was out. And then they couldn't get people to commit to being Dick Tracy. So when they approached Warren Beatty about directing, Warren Beatty demanded, he was like, well, I'll direct it, but I get to star in it. And they were like, well, fuck it, we can't. <laughs> fucking find anybody anyway so you get it let's go yeah which is a terrible way to do things
2: it is but it, see nothing you said there helps me understand what they what movie they thought they were making i still don't know if they were making a comedy or an action movie and at a bare minimum when i'm done watching the movie i should know right
3: i don't it the weird thing is i feel like the the big disconnect is it's like they were trying to make a movie that would be appealing to children and to people 85 years old that were super into Dick Tracy when it came out.
2: Is that, like, and is that another area where they kind of stumbled? Were they trying to make it look just like the old comics, which would not have been interesting to a young audience, and then they tried to add in some of the weird comedy and stuff.
3: It's a weird spread too, because it's not like they were trying to make a movie that was appealing to everyone. Like I said, they were trying to make a movie that was appealing to children and to people old enough to have enjoyed Dick Tracy comic books.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, I love Dick Tracy. And by the way, you can buy Happy Meals with Dick Tracy toys in it for some reason.
3: That's it's weird, weird right? Can we all talk about the fact that uh, Dick Tracy communication watches were dope? They were pretty dope. I did. I did have one. It was pretty awesome.
1: I didn't have one, but they were pretty like magical back in the day. Like, ah, oh, could you just imagine a world
3: we would live in with communicators like that? <laughs> could you, could you, it, um, turns out, turns out pretty shitty. Could you imagine something with a radio that could fit into a watch? That would be amazing. It no, does seem like
2: experience. that, even in 1990, though that putting like the big concentration on that was a mistake. I don't know. That technology didn't seem too impressive to me as a kid. <laughs> hey, oh, that's really? 100% this true.
1: Didn't it seem impressive to you as a kid? No,
2: like How when much? I was, a, like when I was a kid, I like Dick Tracy communicator. Or, like the wristwatch that you could talk into
0: mm-hmm. by the
2: time I saw this movie, which is my first knowledge of Dick Tracy. Like I'd seen lots of things where people could communicate into small items and it seems like when this movie came out, I, I seem to remember actually like asking my parents like what's up with that?" And they're like, oh, that was like a really big deal when we were young because when we were young, like nobody else would have had that in their storyline. It was unique to this story. and I'm like, okay, but by nineteen ninety like Star Trek existed, right like you'd, you'd, we'd oh, see yeah. people talk into small objects and be able to be heard from far away. It's not
1: not even talking to small objects, just pat their chest real quick
2: beep, beep. yeah. You know what I mean, like and like we had portable phones and stuff in our homes at that point. It's the I I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know. I don't. Know so I was trying to brag with the portable phones thing. I know you guys come from uh, a poorer, more third worldy country than I do, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I I don't know. I'm sure. Like again, this seems like something like when my parents were kids, they were probably really impressed by the idea of, like, a walkie-talkie that fit on your wrist, but mm-hmm. I don't
3: remember thinking it was very cool. These kids have these transistor radios that can fit in their
2: pockets now!
1: <laughs> yeah, I was impressed by it, but
2: yeah. I feel like when they did, like, that scene in the diner where the, the kid first sees the 1st radio thing, mm-hmm. like, that was supposed to be the audience POV shot of, like, just, like, wow, look how fascinating this is, and the kid's face lights up, and I'm like... Yeah, cause that kid's from a cartoon version of the '30s. Like, of course, he's impressed by that. But well, why should oh, I? Oh,
3: mean? gee whiz! Wow. Yeah. Did we talk about Madonna's boobs yet? Is no. that something that we should talk about?
2: I feel like that was pre uh, pre recording that it came up briefly, but it's true.
3: I'm just saying, like, for once again, for a movie that appears to be for kids other than the rampant sexual innuendo and uh, brief moments of over-the-top violence in, in which that's almost out of place in the film, too, just because it goes from like punch fighting to all of a sudden it's like, now nah, we're mowing down a hundred people with machine guns.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it was just the tail end of the 80s. Kids right. Stuff had a lot of mowing people down with machine guns in it. There was a Rambo cartoon, don't forget.
3: Yeah, yeah. but we we did have Madonna in a completely see-through outfit. Yeah. And while, while awesome as an adult, I was like trying to think back because I know I went to see this in the movie theaters when it came out. <laughs> and I had to be with somebody older than me because I couldn't drive then. So who was this adult sitting there going, yeah, this is okay. <laughs>
2: well, what's, what's so weird about madonna's nipples in this movie is like it's like incidental nudity it's like there's just nudity there almost like just by happenstance rather than it's not like a a nude scene it's not a sex scene or a shower scene or something she just happens to be wearing see-through clothes in that moment and i'm not sure that it's like they didn't know that that outfit was going to be see-through on camera or something (laughs) but they they ought to know they ought to do that much research into their wardrobe department um so it, again, it feels like in an adult movie that where there was ten other nude scenes, no one would be talking about this. But in a kids movie where all of a sudden a nipple shows up, it's like, well, just edit that out. There's got to be a way, right? I'm, I'm sure there
3: is. <laughs> I,
0: don't I don't know what know, maybe 90s. maybe
3: it's one of those things that at the time they just relied on the fact that uh, film quality was a little bit lower. Maybe. Especially on home video release so you wouldn't have been able to see that
2: that's what they were banking on i guess it's it's plausible right i mean and it's possible that no one told madonna to show her nipples right it was madonna in 1990 like <laughs> it was hard to keep her clothes on back then like people tried
1: yeah i just pulled the scene up on youtube it is kind of one of those blanket you'll miss it sort of situations Because you do get a pretty nice shot of her walking out from behind that little I don't know what the fuck is that called? Like the Japanese stand or whatever. And then uh, but then she walks towards them and she's got like the bottle over one boob and her hand
3: sort of strategically placed. So. Yeah, but then whenever they're talking like it's just right there. (laughs) Like
1: Uh, I, how, I watched that. I didn't see anything. I don't know. Uh,
2: maybe, maybe it is. Maybe maybe we're being overly harsh on this because maybe it was just an overly sexualized scene for, in a kids movie, but there was no, not technically a nipple in the original release. Is that possible? There's still know. a lot of like weird in you, I know, and stuff that doesn't
1: belong oh, in a kids tons.
2: movie. And you're just like, I, again, like, I don't know who that's for. And it doesn't I've I've never read the Dick Tracy comic strips, but I'm gonna go ahead and assume that like comic strips in the thirties didn't have a lot of that in it either. It's like that's something they added into this and again, which audience is that for? Really the really would, old people or the really young people? I, I, would,
3: I would say the most accurate thing is the uh the sexual innuendos and the just flagrant slapping of women whenever they say something you don't like. <laughs> That's pretty accurate
2: for a yeah, night. Obviously
3: hysterical,
2: comic. bam. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem from the beginning of time until about I don't know <laughs> like, ninety seven, ninety eight. People started to frown on the hitting of women. <laughs> hopefully now we're getting to the point where it's actually seen as a negative thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I keep I feel like I keep making the same point over and over again, but it's like I don't know what this movie is. And it, you can't be successful at being anything if you're not at least doing that one thing, right? Like if mm-hmm. this is if this is a, a supposed to be an exact retelling of '40s comic strips, then no, there shouldn't be so much sexual stuff, and no, there shouldn't be, you know, a lot of what goes on. And then if it is a a modern take on the character, then why does it look like this? If it's a cartoon universe, why isn't everybody a cartoon? Why are only certain people cartoons? It's very strange that way.
1: I was thinking about it while I was waiting for my computer to restart. And uh, I feel like what this movie really needed is more of a performance like Bob Hoskins from Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
2: Sure. I was thinking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit a lot (laughs) when I was watching it because I was thinking like there is... There are examples of people merging cartoon universes with live action characters. Mm-hmm. Like Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an easy example. I was also thinking about Sin City a lot where I'm going like there's a movie that took the darker more adult approach to combining the the sort of comic booky world with live action people in it and it was successful. And I think this movie's biggest problem is it doesn't know which way to go. Yeah.
1: I could agree. Who knows? It may have been may have been studio stuff and may have been like, oh, we need that Batman crowd. So we got to appeal to as many people as possible.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly, I think an issue with the story as well, where it's like, you don't get that one storyline throughout the movie for you to follow along. And that's a problem. It's, you end up with a bunch of little things happening That are all just kind of like i'm sure stuff that was all relevant to the world of dick tracy but maybe it all didn't happen in one comic strip i
3: don't know disney did release a uh two-part comic series that led up to the
2: movie okay
3: but i've never read them no know they exist
2: no and i mean like who knows what what's in those it might just be setting up the universe right like getting the characters to where they are at the beginning Maybe it's just a completely separate Dick Tracy tale. I don't know, but I don't like the issue here. Isn't the world building the issue here is the storytelling? I think so. You, you can you can just splash into this world if there was if there was a good story and a better lead character, or even a lead character. I say not necessarily a better lead character. Like if, if it felt like this was a story about Dick Tracy doing something, I think we'd be in a lot better shape but right. instead it just feels like a mishmash of like, like, I think it's really interesting what Noah said about trying to get every bad guy on screen. And it's like, well, there's a reason why most <laughs> comics are yeah. about a guy yeah. fighting one or two bad guys. It's because that's how many you need to still have interesting characters.
3: Right. If they sliced it, if they sliced it down, once again, I think, I think if you, if you leave in breathless Mahoney and, uh, big boy and maybe like two supporting villains so maybe like Mm -hmm. flat top and prune face or something like that that's enough like that's even that might be overboard yeah
1: we have to have mumbles in there come on
2: No, you have like a head villain and then you have a few henchmen with him and that's fine those henchmen don't need to be real characters we don't need to get to know them as long as we take the time to get to know the hero and the main villain and maybe a couple of the supporting characters like if you leave Breathless in there or whatever
3: True true story, Pruneface uh, the producers of the film wanted Ronald Reagan to play Pruneface <laughs> after, like post presidency, Ronald Reagan
1: Oh good lord that makes about as much sense as anything else, why not
2: uh, Yeah, I don't know I' have no, I have no comment in response to that one <laughs> like sure
3: gene Gene Hackman was supposed to play Al Pacino's role, but he refused to do it because he, the last time he worked with Warren Beatty he was such an insufferable
2: cock he couldn't handle it.
1: That is not surprising. I've heard about him about that. heard that you know, about him a lot,
2: which uh, does anybody understand what the what the deal is with Warren Beatty We're a little off topic here, but I keep hearing that he's an asshole. He's not clearly not a great director, even the people who like this movie can acknowledge it as significant flaws. And you know, if you're an asshole and you're not a great actor and you're not a great director, why do you get to be a director and an actor in Hollywood? I don't get it.
3: He was more famous for slinging his dick around Hollywood than making movies. Although, I guess him him and Clint Eastwood are the only two people that have won... Uh, awards for best director and best actor in more than one movie which i i suppose that says something but like i said i don't i don't think Warren Beatty's a bad actor i just think he's kind of bad in this
2: yeah and again i don't really know him from much so i'm i'm judging him heavily based on this movie which is maybe unfair cuz maybe this isn't his best work
1: well i read that book uh was it Easy Riders and Raging Bulls or whatever about Hollywood in the 70s? Yeah. I think he got, he seemed to get a lot of passes for all the stuff that he did in the 70s. So they kept, you know, he still had that reputation going through the 80s and pretty much through this film. And then he didn't really do a whole lot after this movie. At least not that I... Yeah,
3: it's it's something like his his film career was over 55 years and I think he did twenty one movies in that entire time
2: okay so that's he's no. not a guy that worked a lot then
3: yeah he's not prolific
2: or anything like that uh, based on this i'm glad he's not prolific i don't <laughs> <watch him anymore. laughs> and,
3: and once again the big reason that's given for that and even he says it's what it was is he was so busy slinging his dick around hollywood that he couldn't work like, he was distracted by his own penis.
2: Well, that Wait, happens well, to a lot I, of people.
3: I'm just saying, I kind of respect the guy for that. I mean, if, it, if you've got that much money, in like, you're like, I'm going to take a year off and just go bang as many people as I can, and be like, you know what? You're going to die of <laughs> AIDS, but... More power to you, man. Well, you going to the go follow
2: your dreams. It's the 70s. It was before you were going to die of AIDS. Or the, at least people didn't know yet. All right, good stuff. All right, It's uh, bringing up AIDS draws the conversation to a close.
1: Yeah, we'll do that <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so do you have anything else to say about Dick Tracy now?
3: No, I kind of hope someone else is going to take another crack at it eventually. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they've tried to get the project off the ground more than once, but I guess. Somehow, Warren Beatty has the rights. In yeah. and, and the last few times they tried to do it, he shut it down because he was basically like, You're not doing jack shit with it unless I get to play Dick Tracy again. And everybody was like, uh, No. <laughs> you were
1: bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do we feel like it's something that can be done? Like, is the property just too old? Because if no. you, I mean, if you set it in the 30s or 40s or whatever, are people going to think it's like, Oh, well, that's like an old timey movie? But then if you try to update it, it's not gonna make any damn sense either.
3: Yeah, I think you would have to you would just have to set it in that weird, ambiguous, timeless TV world. You know what I mean? The one where cell phones don't exist. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean I'd I'd have to see what somebody else could do with this character. Because I just don't know enough about the original source material to comment on whether it could be done in a proper movie, but
3: I don't, I don't believe there's any such thing as an unfilmable movie like yeah. some, somebody could make an awesome Dick Tracy movie I just don't know who that person is yeah. alright
1: well Doug since you mentioned earlier the next movie is maybe a better example do you want to tell us about Darkman
2: I do want to tell you about Darkman Darkman is a Sam Raimi movie which is good starting point right away. Um, Liam Neeson plays a scientist who is developing a fake skin for people who are uh, injured or burned. His girlfriend is a lawyer who is looking into some shady goings-on, and consequently he ends up in possession of a memo that could uh, get some very high people in trouble. So they send mobster Larry Drake and a bunch of cronies in. They're, they try to kill Liam Neeson, but no one can kill Liam Neeson. So <laughs> they burn him all the shit. He is blown up and thrown into conveniently lands in a river, putting out the fire. Uh, he's found by doctors who then put him through a uh, procedure whereby they sever a bunch of his nerves so that he can no longer feel pain Uh, But he has heightened emotions, and he has increased strength effectively because of the lack of pain. Uh, So he escapes from the hospital into an alley, apparently behind a theater where they were doing a uh, some sort of a presentation of uh, Phantom of the Opera. Because they have a very convenient costume waiting for him in a garbage (laughs) can, (laughs) he puts it on, gets back. He uh, starts gets his lab up and running and well enough that he can produce some fake skins proceeds to go uh, on a murderous rampage taking out the mobsters who took him out while trying to figure out exactly why it was done he also tries to reunite with his girlfriend but he can only see her for 99 minutes at a time because that's how long the skin can last in the light uh, before it starts to melt off and she horribly said, tells him to his face after he gets back from being burnt that she probably wouldn't have stayed with him if she could see his face, um, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I mean, the whole thing just kind of comes to a head where he uh, ends up going head to head with the, what is he, like a big architect guy that's trying to rebuild the city. Um, and.
1: He's Donald Trump. Just say he's Donald
2: Trump. He's Donald Trump. Okay. He's Yeah. I mean, to some extent, yes, he is like Donald Trump, the 1980s version of Donald Trump for reality TV show turned him into the president of the United States. Yeah. Somehow.
3: Stop making me sad.
2: Anyways, that's not relevant to the discussion. Um, what's relevant to the discussion is that, yeah, it's, he ends up being the head guy that, um, He's he's conveniently racist against Indians, too. I forgot about that. Um, But (laughs) I wonder if that was on purpose. Anyways, um, yeah, so they have their big fight, and then the story ends with uh, Liam Meeson turning into Bruce Campbell and disappearing into the crowd, announcing through voiceover that he is now going to go be a superhero and stalk the streets and kill all the other mobsters.
1: Which, let me just but let's just get right to the point. The fact that they made two more sequels yeah. and Bruce Campbell was not Darkman in them is a travesty and the world should burn just for that
2: reason. Yeah, I have to assume that because it's, it's well documented that Sam Remy wanted Bruce Campbell to play the lead in this movie. And he mm-hmm. wanted Bruce Campbell to play the lead in all of his movies until somewhere in the mid-90s. Um, so I think think it's pretty clear to me watching this movie that when you see Bruce Campbell at the end, that's Sam Raimi setting it up so that if they were to make a sequel, Bruce Campbell takes over the role. And I then think that's not, also just Sam that,
3: Raimi in his habit of kind of looking at the producers and going, fuck you!
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean there's an element to that, but from from I think from a story perspective they... Liam Neeson was a rising star, wasn't likely to sign a long-term contract with the Dark Man series, and Sam Raimi, being the creator of the Dark Man superhero mythos, was probably on sub-level hopeful that this would become, you know, there'd be a Dark Man 10 one day. And I think he would have loved to have Bruce take over that role. So why not set it up perfectly in your first movie?
1: Yeah.
2: So... The other, the other possibility is they needed a throwaway character at the end who is a, you know, a tall guy with dark hair, and they just—he has a buddy who does that. So <laughs> <laughs> That's the other option is we're putting way too much thought into this.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying it could have happened. So, uh, so, Doug, I'm gonna assume you're
2: a big fan of this movie. I am. Uh, I loved this movie when it came out, and I watched it a lot in the early '90s, and then I just—it's—I sort of forgot about it and then as an adult you know when the dvd came out the dvd box set with those two sequels that you've referenced Mm -hmm. um i uh i watched it one time then and i thought jesus christ that really holds up well and then for some reason i haven't watched it in a long time and watching it for this i really think it's probably like it looks More like a comic book than almost any other movie i've ever seen i can't think of a better example the use of you know the close-ups on the people's faces and all that kind of stuff that they use the, the dutch angles at just the right time i feel like sam raimi was making a comic book movie when they wouldn't let him make comic book movies and he knew exactly what he was doing and you know, There's a reason why some of the most successful comic book movies in history were his, and that's because he knew. This was before they knew to give comic book movies to geeks. They, mm. These guys were taking a shot at, like, let's give this guy a little bit of money and see what he can do with it.
3: I suppose we do also have to say that one of the absolute worst comic book movies is also is, unfortunately.
1: I'm assuming you're talking about Spider-Man 3.
3: You know it. Yeah,
2: but I mean, look—we've had this discussion lots of times. There's no point in dragging down our discussion <laughs> of Darkman. I mean, I, no, but no, but Darkman is what you get, or Spider-Man One is what you get when you give Sam Raimi a little money and say, "Please go make us a movie." Spider-Man Three is what you get when the studio says, "We know how to fix it." So, fuck studios. Sam Raimi rules. Studios are stupid. Let's get back to talking about Darkman.
1: <laughs> hmm. I I saw this like when I was like 10 like probably when it came out right on video I remember seeing this and just absolutely loving it and then revisiting as an adult I was super happy to see that it holds up really well never seen the I saw the second movie but remember absolutely nothing about it and I never saw it through
2: yeah I've seen those two but I don't I don't have much to say about direct-to-video sequels in the mid-90s. I don't know. Is there anything in particular that you like about it that strikes you?
1: Just sort of like the Phantom of the Opera aspect to it. Yeah. Where he's like, I'll just figure it, and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go set up my lab in this old rundown factory. And then just you know him working on shit, and then montages of him just skulking around this like
3: dark factory that
1: you know, I love Can't even tell like what the hell did they used to make there.
3: I do, I do love the fact that his superpower set includes uh, has created a skin that can make him look like someone else for a short period of time, as long as it's not exposed to direct light, and he's batshit crazy.
2: <laughs> yep. So when he starts his killing spree and he ends up like, I think it's only like the second guy he kills because first he kills Ted Remy, right?
0: And then he has
2: to immediately move on to people who aren't related to the director. And it's like, he just makes himself look like that guy to intentionally screw up a deal so that he can get the mobsters to kill their own guy. That's pretty diabolical for your second kill of your entire (laughs) lifetime. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so what, what do you think of this movie, Noah?
3: You know I love this movie. <laughs> of course. I think, I think it's got a few little weird things in it that don't age well, but I, overall it ages pretty good. There's just a couple little references and stuff that I think the further you get away from those references, the less those references make sense.
2: Can you provide us with an example?
3: I don't know. Some of that, you know, because a couple of that, uh, the Dutch angles and stuff—they're—they're they're clearly making like Batman '66 style references and things. Like I said, and just the further away from that you get, I feel like if I showed this to a younger person, they wouldn't get it. If you know what I mean.
1: Like, yeah, but I would say Raimi did a lot of that in the Evil Dead movies too. Yeah. yeah. I do feel like this movie was his practice run for Army of Darkness because it seems like there's just like a lot of. Camera angles and a little bit more slapsticky kind of stuff, but definitely then shows up
2: in Army of Darkness. Yeah. And certainly the combination of comedy and horror is mm-hmm. in full effect here. I mean, Liam Neeson, when he's in the that makeup that they have, man, or whatever it is, is fantastic. And he looks gruesome. But then he still says and does some pretty funny things. And some of the scenes, it's like the the blending of it it's just fantastic like when he's getting dragged around by that helicopter towards the end you're just like i don't in a really good way it's like this is a great action scene and it's pretty fucking hilarious at the same time um, so i i find that the blending of genres is just really really well done in this movie when they want him to be scary i think he legitimately is which is they don't want him to be scary for the whole movie. They, they definitely play out different elements of that
3: we also call that dat finger break scene. Yep. <laughs> Woo! It's still, it's still like now that special effect looks a little cheesier, but yeah. uh, But Jesus, every time you see it, you're like, oh, <laughs> it <hurts> so bad.
2: <laughs> yep. And then he loses it on uh, his girlfriend. That's the one element of the film I thought doesn't age very well is the Frances McDormand character because she is. It is a little bit unfortunate that she's like just this pawn. Like, she's. They set her up to be this capable woman who's like a lawyer and stuff. And then, like, when she thinks her boyfriend dies, she immediately starts falling for the guy who she knows is a criminal, who she was in the middle of investigating when her boyfriend died. And then she just kind of hangs around him until she can get kidnapped so that dark man has someone to save and I, I felt that was a little bit in the in the you know the me too era I thought that that was kind of an unfortunate c- character but yeah she's a bit of a wet blanket like yeah I mean maybe you could sit there and say hey that's if this is a, a tribute to comic book movies of old this, she is the damsel in distress from those movies
3: give uh, me the goddamn elephant well, take,
2: take <laughs> the fucking elephant
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. so one piece of interesting uh trivia that we of course will would have loved is uh Bill Paxton was pretty mu- was kind of in the lead to play the lead character. Oh, I would have loved it. <laughs> but then he told Leah Neeson about that you know they were holding auditions and when he got the role Paxton got so mad that he didn't speak to Neeson for like several months. Huh.
2: That's funny. <laughs> Fucked up. I have to say, I think Liam Neeson is perfect in the role. As much as like, yeah, I'd love to see what Bill Paxton would have done. Obviously, Bruce Campbell would have been great, but Liam Neeson is like perfect in this movie. He that voice of his just suits so well, that grumbly voice, and that because his voice is a little off too, because he does an American accent in it, and it's not perfect but it kind of suits the character very well because he's supposed to be speaking oftentimes through a muffled uh, face covering. And other times he's supposed to be like intentionally like screaming at people who are driving helicopters while he's getting dragged behind them. It's, you know, it it suits very everything. And he's obviously because he's such a big guy, he looks really cool in the whole outfit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The trench coats really look a good visual because it's not quite a cape. But it is just sort of a—you can have a dr- nice dramatic flare. Like it was specifically one scene where he's sort of brooding, and then like he does a dramatic turn, and then of course the fabric like flares up into the camera. And I'm like, I can just imagine yeah. ramey just sitting there and be like, No, 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 no! Trust me, you need to like specifically turn very fast, get that yeah. fabric up into the camera lens.
2: Oh, for sure, because this is a pre-CGI world. Well, not entirely pre-CGI. That's that's another element of the film that is uh, problematic on Hold Up, but uh, yeah, like in, in a world where these effects had to be practical, I think having someone with the physicality of Liam Neeson to be able to, it sounds so dumb, but like to be able to turn in such a way as to flap that coat around, I don't know if Bill Paxton could pull that off.
3: You know he could.
2: <laughs> I think this would be a very different movie with Bill Paxton's lead, and now, I definitely kind of wish I could see that version as well. Here's
3: here's the thing. As much as I love Bruce Campbell, and Lord knows, I fucking love Bruce Campbell. Liam Neeson nails this, and yeah. even even absent Liam Neeson, I still think Bill Paxton would be better than Bruce Campbell in this
2: role. I, I just... Okay, well, I think if you're going to put Bill Paxton in this role, that changes it to a slightly different movie. Whereas I think if you put... Bruce Campbell in this role he's going to play the character very similar to how Liam Neeson plays maybe I don't know I, I think we, we can a, all agree like things. we we're need a goddamn more- time machine <laughs> time machine and two more 16 million dollar budgets so we can remake this movie two more times
3: we've got to go back Paxton, Paxton wasn't the right choice
1: Maybe it could have saved his life, we don't know
2: Don't no, Don't make it reset
1: I'm just saying, if we had a time machine Look We could pull a Marty McFly and just slip a little note into his pocket, maybe things would turn out
2: different Look, notorious racist Liam Neeson was the perfect choice for the Dark Man <laughs> role We all know that in retrospect I'm not sure how they got so lucky at the time
1: And maybe if we had a time machine we could tell Liam Neeson Just because you think things doesn't mean you
3: gotta <laughs> say them you maybe, maybe that would have saved it don't say the things in your head Liam Neeson
2: yeah, a week ago you were an action star with a reputation for having a giant penis now you're a racist who also is in movies you shouldn't have done that
1: why did you do that Liam? nobody even asked you mm. yeah so uh, the other big thing is of course uh, Sam Raimi really wanted to do uh, a shadow movie but yeah. He didn't get it. They obviously ended up making one with Alec Baldwin, so he's like, "Fuck it, I'll make my own superhero."
2: Yep, and good on him. Like, I like, I'm gonna just say, like, having rewatched Darkman now for the first time in a while, like, mm-hmm. I think it's the best superhero movie from the era. I think it's better than anything anybody else did and I think the reason it's better is because it's the most like a comic book despite the fact that all those other people were making actual comic book properties Def- <laughs> define is, the
3: era give me give me time constraints
2: uh i don't know eighty five to ninety five even probably even a wider area than that but I'm wasn't anticipating having to come up with dates <laughs> on the spot I'm just saying
3: where does where does uh Batman Returns
2: fit in there. Batman Returns was 92.
3: It's close. Batman Returns, real good. Uh, I haven't seen that in a while.
1: I wasn't a big fan of that when I originally saw it.
2: I liked it in 92. I don't know how well it would hold up now. Whereas Uh, Darkman I watched yesterday (laughs) I know it holds up really well.
1: If anything it's amazing that he came up with such an interesting character like from scratch like not based off anything else yeah you know, obviously like I said that he wanted that shadow movie and just tweak some of his ideas to make his own character but yeah just basing it off a non-existing property I think it's really good
2: well and it's fascinating how much Sam Raimi was able to come up with this very typical superhero story that's unique in its own way like yeah like okay he wears a, an outfit that looks kind of like the shadows outfit and a lot of other outfits i mean the trench coat and the hat is not uh, not exactly a unique idea but it's not he doesn't look just like every other person who's worn that because it is the old tattered trench coat he does wear it open whereas most of the other heroes tended to like have theirs closed up at times he wears the like. He, he, there's the Phantom of the Opera element to it, with the face being covered up in the bandages and stuff as well. So yeah, it it's got kinda, a little
3: bit of the question in there too.
2: Yeah, like it, it brings in all these different elements in it and creates a unique character. And then, like, like it's not it's not that unique to have a hero who's also a scientist. Obviously, Spider-Man is the easiest example to point to when we're talking with Sam Raimi, but to have his science be so specifically creating these skins that he can then use later on to look like whoever he wishes to look like um, or, or to regain his own face I think that's a really neat idea mm-hmm. and that's all Sam Raimi from what I understand like he wrote a, a short story that had this character in it or something like that Just, that's where the ideas all come from so like I think it's really cool that he was able to do that he does the sort of real world thing that people love to do when they make comic book movies by having a, the, the rest of his powers come from a surgery that he's given. Which I think is really neat because it gives him gives him superpowers but still makes him human, right? He's still beatable at any given time. He's not because yeah. his powers are just something that happened to him early in the film. It's not something supernatural.
1: Yeah just was uncontrollable rage and uh, an unregulated adrenaline or whatever.
2: Yeah. something to do with like, the pain. Nerve centers aren't sending the pain information to the brain, which I assume all that pseudoscience that was in this movie is 100% accurate and that that's how it works. Yeah. So.
1: yeah. I like the fact that there's a flaw in like his stuff with the skin too like it only lasts for 99 minutes in the light and then it disintegrates because it at least gives him like his kryptonite I guess you would say it gives him something that he is like oh shit like this is gonna fuck up my plan or whatever so he's not just super good at everything
2: yeah I think it it creates um, a certain amount of tension in every scene where he's dressed up And again, because of Sam Raimi, they're able to use it for both. Like, they're able to create scenes where he's in public and his skin starts to boil and it looks kind of gross and sick and you get that kind of, like, icky feeling as he's running away and then you see the skin laying on the ground. But he can also have two Larry Drakes look at each other through a revolving door, <laughs> which is pretty entertaining, right? <laughs> and The old, you shoot him, no, you shoot him, right? And Raimi's natural ability to combine various genres works perfectly in this movie because he can have those things happen in the same film. Mm-hmm. I don't know many other directors that could have the level of comedy this film has, the level of action this film has, and the level of horror that this film has. And, you know, obviously like, Raimi's known for all three of those.
1: Uh, anything else before we move on?
2: I don't know. The conversations are a lot more boring when we all agree.
3: <laughs> but, right. I mean, it's, it's dark, man. No, you're,
2: yeah. You are gonna have I mean,
3: to really dig to find something bad to say about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've tried. <laughs> the nineties CGI is like admittedly terrible. But most of the special effects really hold up well. Like some of the scenes where they're like they're supposed to be constructing a whole new city in the background and they've got like those big glass panes so they can use I don't know what they use, map paintings or miniatures or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it looks really good. And I like I'm reasonably confident they didn't build a city for this movie. They clearly had some special effect to do that with, but it holds up really well. The makeup effects are amazing. Like Yeah, his know, face looks amazing
1: with like was it like two two thirds of his face or whatever, just like the one Yeah. The one eye that's sort of unaffected and stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like, I'd go as far as to say that those makeup effects, if you put them in a movie today, nobody would bat an eye. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, they're outstanding, and they're, like, the you'd have a little more trouble putting them in a mainstream movie today because it would get you an R rating. But other than that, it's, like, it's truly horrific, and I, I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, he used to creep me out because he had no lips.
2: Yep.
1: I'm just like, oh, that's so, like, messed up looking.
2: Yeah, because you can see the teeth in there, and it's just—it's gross looking. Yeah. its And I like, i think this movie would be scary to a small child. Like, I don't think if you showed this to a 10-year-old, most kids aren't going to get the humor in the action scenes because they're going to be scared of dark
0: Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For info, check out the Midnight Drive In on Twitter at MN In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the Drive In will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling.
1: We got one piece of uh, feedback. Our good buddy Eric, who once again went to the spam folder.
2: This said, one? The spam uh, folder? Oh, yeah. That makes me upset with Google.
1: Uh, he said, Hey, guys, listen to Doug talk about Shakma. Seems like things with monkeys make him really happy. So I thought he might like this dong. Yep. I am reading this correctly. Exactly what he said. Enjoy. So that's made-, made me afraid to click on this.
2: I was very hesitant for a while,
1: but apparently he sent us a monkey—a song about a monkey. So listen for like the next twenty seconds and enjoy this monkey.
0: Dance with the monkey. Dance with the monkey. Dance with the monkey. Dance, dance, dance with the monkey. Dance with the monkey. Dance with the monkey. Dance,
3: dance, dance with the monkey. Dance with the monkey.
1: So yeah, is that going to be your new ringtone?
2: That's, I don't know how to do that, but it'd be pretty cool.
1: <laughs> so Eric, you need to sing a, send a ringtone version to Doug. Yeah. Your so girlfriend's like, going to be like, what the hell?
2: Like the third song that uh, Eric has written for us as podcasters, and it's the first time he's managed to incorporate monkeys, so things just keep getting better
1: yeah but I also call that a fail that it took this long for him to send something about monkeys
2: well I you know what I just don't want to discourage him (laughs) first of all it's the only time we get feedback is when Eric has a little free time (laughs) and second of all we just got the whole dance song about dancing monkeys so
1: (laughs) the spam folder doesn't gobble it up
2: yeah you keep being you Eric because that's awesome
1: monkey. I like that he sends me an an instant message and is like, hey, I sent you a feedback. It's probably in the spam folder. And I always go, yep, and then I always take a screenshot and send it to him. And he's like, motherfucker.
2: (laughs) I don't get it. Because, like, this is like, we changed Gmail addresses when we switched the name of the podcast. Yeah. And it still doesn't.
1: He, uh, I read, like, I was reading it, and it said something about the Mac address or something. I don't know. He's a Mac user. That's a whole other <laughs> problem.
2: Is that, is that just, like, how they work?
1: It's just... Apparently. A, it's like, well, this is shitty, and just automatically goes into, this, into the garbage. That's
2: it's, <laughs> kind of funny.
1: Uh, all right. Has anybody watched anything since last episode? You know it. What'd you watch?
3: Uh well after watching uh these I had to watch Batman. So I rewatched Batman. Of course. Like I said, it doesn't hold up the best in certain parts but it's still good. Pretty much all the parts where he's in the bat suit are awesome.
1: Is uh hey you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts line doesn't uh
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not good. <laughs> My, Michael Keaton He's a lot of things but like That's that's bad.
2: I definitely think that movie suffers from the same thing that I've complained about a lot of superhero movies, which is it, it fails to commit. It's not, it's not campy and funny, and it's also not as dark and serious as people wanted it to be. And I think a lot of people convinced themselves it was dark and serious at the time. Watching it now, it just it's.
3: We didn't know any better. Oh, it was
1: sixty-six Batman at the time.
3: Plus, it's very Tim Burton-y. And uh, I think as time goes on I'm starting to realize that maybe Tim Burton wasn't as good at making things as I thought he was.
1: Well, the is, adventure is, is still a masterpiece.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Tim Burton is because post-Batman it, that became his style, right? And it was like, okay, well now you've done this a lot of times in a row. Like Tarantino suffers from that sometimes too where you're just like how many times you gonna keep making the same movie? Because we've seen it now. Indeed. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm not bad mouthing it because it's.
3: But yeah. so, Batman. If you've never seen it, probably watch that.
2: Kind of, kind of <laughs> if you've fabulous. never seen Batman '89, yeah, I guess it's, it's a recommend.
3: It's kind of a thing. I
2: don't, I don't know why you most, wouldn't have. I, I think most people have seen it. Uh, I, don't, I think we're preaching to a pretty small audience of people who haven't seen Batman '89. Uh, have, and uh, then
1: I have, the, I have a DVD with all the 30s serials on them, but I've so never watched them.
2: I've always wanted to see that, because just I think racist Batman is a funny concept to me, even though it's probably not intended to be funny. Uh,
3: so then, uh, most of my long weekend was dedicated to watching uh, Umbrella Academy.
1: Mm. Just watched an episode right before
3: uh, I came down to record. I like it a lot which is kind of surprising because I remember not enjoying the comic book I don't think I ever fucking really got that far into it I think I picked up one trade or something back in the day and kind of read half of it and I was like meh it's another edgy fucking uh, X-Men clone yay you know but I think the show delivers on it really really well
1: yeah it seems I mean it's fun and
3: stuff so far and it's also like
1: pretty dark in different places, but I've been enjoying it. since I know nothing about um, the comic book or anything,
3: it takes it takes about half the season before things really actually kick into gear. Because mm-hmm. the, 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 the first, the first, go ahead. I was I was going to say because the first half they. They really have to like explain who all the characters are for everything to make sense. Like, because everybody's got these pretty involved motivations for being
2: the way that they are. That makes sense. Yeah, and there's yeah. a talking monkey, right?
3: Yeah, there is, Mister right. Mister Popo.
2: I'll get to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I've been enjoying it. Like I said, knowing nothing about uh, the comics. But the trailers look good. Anything else? The music on it's fantastic. Recommend for me?
3: Yeah, I was going to say it's a, it's a recommendation, even though it deals with one of my biggest pet peeves, and that is overuse of time travel stuff. Oh,
1: time travel is amazing. I'll get into that later. I
3: don't know. I feel like that. My my problem is I really really like well written science fiction, mm-hmm. and typically. The second time travel becomes involved, that is a hallmark of not very well written science fiction, because time travel is almost always used as an excuse or a like Deus ex machina bullshit instead of actually contributing to the story.
1: Yeah, I'm only about halfway through, and I don't feel like it's been done too bad yet.
3: It's I don't. More, I know. I, th- th- I think they do it in in the show. They've done it really well. Mm-hmm. Because all the time travel stuff kind of makes sense and actually serves purposes, and they don't waste a lot of time with like digging into the minutiae of time travel and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But that was pretty much it, unfortunately. Like, that show's eaten up a lot of time. I'm almost done. I think I got one or two episodes left.
1: What about you, Doug?
2: Uh, let's see. First thing I watched was a movie that you've talked about before on the podcast, which I totally remember. And I listened to you when you talked about it uh-huh. called revenge.
1: I definitely <laughs> didn't have to tell you about that
2: on Instagram. No, nice of you to remind me publicly that I don't listen when you guys talk. <laughs> um, so for everyone who's not Brian and hasn't seen this movie, it's, it's a rape revenge movie, basically. Um, little bit different from most in that it's sort of combines the elements of the attackers are hunting this girl down the victim down at the same time as she's sort of turning the tables and hunting them back um but you know it's a pretty basic story um i liked it a lot um it is just an extremely well-made film it's shot just wonderfully um a lot of it takes place out in like the desert and the sort of the wide angle shots are really fucking cool Um, the use of lighting since at night they're basically hunting this girl down with these three different vehicles they've got a jeep they've got a motorcycle and they've got a four wheeler and as they're kind of hunting her down the headlights are what create the lighting for the shots which is super fucking cool Um, And then there's some scenes where she's in a cave and everything's just lit by this fire that she has going. And it's like, again, just beautiful to look at, even though the subject matter is so dark. Um, I love, just because it's a French movie, how much fucking blood and gore there was when the final fight happens. (laughs) It is just beautifully, beautifully bloody. There's just so much blood in this movie. And by the time you get there... Building towards it, and you're just happy to see it. Um, unless you're some weirdo who doesn't like to watch people like running around in blood, ankle deep. But I don't know. I don't. Know. I don't know. I can't claim to understand how those people work. So. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say, like the, so the rape element of it, I think is handled really well. It's not a particularly graphic rape scene. But it has one of the most like horrific moments I've ever seen in cinema, and that's when. Uh, so the the actual act is happening in a bedroom, and a guy walks in, and he chooses to leave and let it happen. And when he gets out, you can hear her screaming in the background, and he turns up a TV so he won't hear it. And for me, that is like so much darker and more effective than like physically showing the act and having that sort of. Gross-out moment of violence. Um, I thought it was so much better to do it that way, and it was just like I really like swarmed in my seat when he turned up that television, so he wouldn't have to hear her screaming in pain. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that's
1: just—it is almost vomit-inducing.
2: Yeah, and it's yeah. So I,
0: I I was really blown away by how
2: much I liked this movie. I just stumbled across it on some list and uh, remembered Ryan telling me about it yeah. um, and then was just like yeah uh, I guess I'll check it out and super happy I did um, obviously it's it's a rape revenge movie if, if that's not your subgenre I can understand that and I wouldn't it's not going to win you over necessarily but if you're a fan of like what Carpenter does in movies sometimes with the way he shoots movies I think this film would appeal to you is it uses that sort of wide angle lens those big shots um and then of course turns up the gore as necessary so a huge yeah. recommendation for for people who want to watch that sort of thing it's i don't I can't quite remember everything you said about it, Brian were you were a fan too
1: <laughs> he's such a bullshit artist wow. <laughs> uh i remember enjoying it, even though that's a horrible word to say about a rape revenge movie. Yeah. Uh, I remember having some issues with it, but I don't remember what they were. So I'll just say that it was fantastic, and I agree with you. Okay. So, uh, Oh, something I thought the the very end, but it's kind of spoilery, so I won't say it, but the, the running around at the end, I thought was a little overused. Yeah. But... Yeah.
2: I can see see what you you would mean by that, but I can also, I was just so into the movie at that point that I went with it. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you're not enjoying it at quite the level I was, um, I can see it being problematic. But the (laughs) other thing I, full credit, so the movie is, it's a French movie, um, but they want to appeal to a worldwide audience, so they make it an English movie by having the, it's like the three bad guys are French, and then the girl is American, but full credit to that actress, because apparently she's Italian, and I didn't know until I looked her up after watching the movie that she wasn't, I just figured she was American. So
1: Well, I didn't even know until you just said so. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, maybe she, maybe she's lived in the States or something, I don't know, I didn't look that hard, I just IMDb'd the thing, but she's very convincing, and... The other element of the the film that i i think should be addressed is there's always the the victim blaming element in a movie like this because she is kind of like the party girl who's at this you know far off house with this married guy and she's very flirtatious with some of the guys and stuff i thought they did a good job of getting around that by simply having every asshole in the movie kind of blame her and having her say like no i'm allowed kind of like be however i want and still not like she didn't quite say i can i can do what i want to do and you're still not led right me it wasn't quite that yeah. ridiculous of dialogue but they do kind of have every asshole in the movie be like oh you were so flirtatious last night and she's like i was just having fun that doesn't mean anything yeah. no. like and i think they kind of they cover their tracks whereas a lesser movie would have stumbled into that victim blaming territory so
1: yeah, they're just, like, playing music and having some drinks, and she's, like, dancing with the guys, and they take that as, oh, well, she totally wants to fuck me. Yeah. Then, like, uh, no?
2: Yeah, which in and of itself, like, that's fine. Like, they can think that, but when they make their move and she says no, that's where you're yeah. supposed to stop. Like, it's... Yeah. And it... Uh, I thought they handled it pretty well, and, like, I had bred it's sort of this new version of feminism where they're like look she's allowed to dance around in her underwear one night and then the next day she can just still refuse to sleep with you like and i agree that women are allowed to do that if they want to <laughs> um but it i thought it was an interesting sort of take because she isn't she isn't the victim like in the way a lot of like the old 70s were prevention movies it was always this like really sweet innocent girl mm-hmm. like, she doesn't have to be that in order to deserve to be treated like a decent human being. And she's also like not like she's not like a slutty party girl. She kind of comes across that way, but when push comes to shove, she's she's not. So I don't know. I, I thought that was handled well and I think that that's something that's difficult to do in a movie, so the filmmakers should get credit for doing it well. I agree. Yeah. So I mean that's I mean that's about all I have to say about that one. Uh, another thing I watched that I know you talked about recently on the show. Um, oh,
1: I know what it's going to be, too. I,
2: yeah. So I finally got around to watching Abducted in Plain Sight, which I... You know, maybe I'm the last person in the world who has watched that.
1: No, I saw people posted about it today. And I would be like, I know, right? What the
2: fuck? Wow, because you had given me a heads up about how fucked up that was. And I was like it can't be as fucked up as Brian says it is. And then you didn't even tell me about the aliens.
1: Nope. I completely (laughs) underplayed it because the aliens are supposed to be a surprise.
2: Yeah. And they were, (laughs) they sure fucking were. (laughs) You didn't mention the aliens or the fact that a guy marries a 12 year old girl.
1: Nope. (laughs) Nope. I just and, said she got abducted by the same person twice, and her family yeah, was okay with it, and that's enough.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you didn't mention the fucking fact that this guy seduced a twelve-year-old girl and both of her parents individually, like at three, <laughs> <laughs> like kind of simultaneously. <laughs> um, he didn't have to use. He didn't have to use aliens to convince the parents, but he might have. I don't know. We only get one side of the story. Wow, that is one of the weirdest scenarios I've ever, and it's like I've never seen anything this fucked up, yeah, and it's just like ah, I can't get my head around these parents like what the fuck was wrong with these people <laughs> it's It's super weird too, like like the' cause so the dad has whatever sexual encounters with the kidnapper. And then at one point, he's like, that's like the worst thing I've ever done. And it's like, no, you let your kid get kidnapped a second time because you, in order to cover up your weird sexual encounters, you helped this guy get away with his first kidnapping.
1: <laughs> it's How so do you weird, too. If you're Like, imagine being in the car with, like, one of your friends and they just drive out into the woods and be like, oh, man, I could really use some relief. I know, you know what I mean? And they pull a boner out of their pants and, like, Come on, buddy I need some relief.
2: Like <laughs> hey, teach their own if that's what you're into and you're consenting adults, I don't care. But that's super fucking weird thing to do to somebody. And like <laughs> it, if you're heterosexual, you probably don't carry through with that, I wouldn't think. I don't It's I I, I almost wish they could have had interviews with the kidnapper cuz he's, right? like, he's still alive. And I want to know like what No, he's dead. Oh, is he dead now? Okay. Yeah,
1: they talk about it in the documentary. Did you even watch it?
2: Yes, but I, it, my head wasn't working right by the end of this documentary, I admit that. Like, the last little bit of it, I'm just, like, still, my mind was so blown by the first half. Because there's the one scene where, like, the, like we're jumping around, but that's not my fault. This, this situation is messed up. Where yeah. the girl is, like, talking about how she's, like, in college or something, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, shit, there's probably not really aliens. Like I didn't have to have sex with that guy all those times because I'm not part of an alien mission to repopulate the Earth at all, am I? (laughs) And it never occurred to her until later because he had her like, and like she's like the full-on victim where she was a child at the time, so he he got into her head. But it's so weird that that was allowed to go on.
1: Yeah,
2: I can't. I just man, it fucked me up. I was (laughs) like, I'd put it on like as a background thing because I'm thinking, okay, let's see what all the big deal is about. (laughs) <laughs> like this is not background watching for anybody who's curious. <laughs> You're gonna want to try to pay attention to this one.
1: And then after the first time to have him come up and be like, Well, it's part of my therapy. What the fuck? You need to sleep in the same bed as your daughter. And the parents are like, Oh yeah, makes sense.
2: I, okay, like public service announcement. This isn't normally where we go on this show. We don't like to tell people how to live their lives. But if an adult male comes to you and says that as part of his therapy sessions, he has to sleep in a bed with your teenage daughter, even if he hasn't kidnapped her in the past, still say no. But if he has kidnapped her and tried to marry her in the past, definitely say no. <laughs> At least double check with the doctor and make sure that this is part of the prescription. Like, Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so fucking weird. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's weird, and you have to watch it to even understand it. It's even all yeah. the stuff we've talked about already. You're still gonna watch it and be like, What? The living fuck. This is up like, with these people.
2: Everybody in this movie is fucked up. And like the one the people who were kids when the main story took place, they're fucked up because this happened. The other people were fucked up when it happened. Like and what is the deal with like the, the kidnapper's brother who they do interview repeatedly? And he's just like, Yeah, he was off with some girl, you know, that was his thing, I guess. And it's like You just casually refer to your brother's child molestation as his thing. Like that's not what you do.
1: Like, he seemed really salty about the whole thing.
2: He seemed like almost annoyed. It's like, yes, my brother was into having sex with really young girls, and it's like, no, they weren't. Like, they weren't really young girls in the sense of being like nineteen or twenty. They were eleven or twelve. Like, that's that's a big difference. You know what I mean? Like, he says it so casually, and I'm just like, you can't. You're not allowed to have that casual of an at, of an attitude towards your brother's crimes. It's uh, uh,
1: to be fair, though, we we were all angry with the the parents too. So maybe he's just following suit.
2: Oh, I was yeah, <laughs> I, I was super angry with the parents. I didn't like the brother. Like I say, the kidnapper is obviously a piece of cr- uh, trash. Um, like yeah i I just couldn't get better and that but the fbi guy that was maybe the one decent human being in the whole thing like because the interview is taking place like nowadays and the story takes place in like the late 70s and he's still angry about what the parents (laughs) did
1: i don't remember i was just like yeah i i I implored them please do not talk to this man yeah two days later they talked to this man and you (laughs) see him being like motherfucker
2: i know and it's like, yeah, like, I mean, we're in full spoiler territory about this documentary now, I guess. But it's like like when they wrote that letter basically exonerating him of the first kidnapping. Uh-huh. And it's like it was just to cover up their own sexual improprieties. And it's like, I, who does that? Uh,
1: I think you just let you just let it happen and then be like, guess what? We may have to move. Yeah. If you're, if you're that worried about finding out that you gave him a handy in the car. Maybe we're just going to have to move.
2: And it's so, like, I don't know, man, my version of morality must just be different from these people's because the idea that somehow people finding out about your homosexual behavior is worse than your child's kidnapper going free, like, priorities, folks. Like, you got to get your shit together here. (laughs) Oh, it's... This is mind-boggling.
1: Yep. Real people live in the world.
2: And that, I think that's, like, if this was a movie, I would have gone, this is too far-fetched. No way would any of this shit ever happen.
1: <laughs> Nobody would let their child happen to their child. What are you talking about? Yeah. <sighs>
2: yeah, that was, that was fucked up. <laughs> you notice I didn't get worked up talking about the rape revenge movie, but I'm talking <laughs> about the documentary? It's because one of these things is real and one of them isn't, and that's why it's so upsetting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, after I watched it, my friend texted me the next morning. He's like, hey, I saw you watch this, so I decided to watch it. Uh, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Like, what the hell? Yeah,
2: I, I, I don't even know what to say, really. It's just... Uh, 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 yeah. it's, my, it's, my, it's, it's what I got. Uh, tired after talking about that movie. oh um, <laughs> i did watch one other thing completely unrelated i stumbled across a movie called galveston you ever heard of it nope i hadn't until netflix said hey maybe you'd like this one um, stars ben foster who i'm a big fan of that's what kind of made me want to watch it crime drama basically uh career criminal low-level punk type guy finds out he's dying at the same time, he is involved in like a double-cross situation where his employer actually tries to kill him. He goes on the run, and in doing, in the middle of this, he ends up saving this like uh, 19-year-old prostitute that's kind of just in the mix by mistake. And so it's them on the run, trying to stay hidden from the, the mobsters that he was working for. It includes him uh, includes a stop and pick up her little sister on the way, who's We find out the details about her later but it's kind of like this a lot of the movie is set just with these people all living in this hotel kind of getting to know each other and stuff and this guy coming to terms with the fact that he's now kind of taking on responsibility for these too much younger girls um even though that wasn't really his intent and he doesn't really never really wanted that kind of role it ends up being I think really good if you're into those kinds of dramas those kind of crime dramas uh the acting is really good like I said Ben Foster plays the guy and Elle Fanning plays the girl and I I don't really know her from anything uh Elle Fanning? yeah
1: she was in Super 8?
2: okay you're right I've seen her in that that was a long time ago and I saw it once in theaters and haven't seen it since um so I don't remember if she was good in it. She also would have been a child when that came out because that was. <laughs> she, I think I think the character in the movie is nineteen now. I assume the actress is about the same age. That uh, yeah, seems she's really really good. Uh, she like it's a hard role to play. Um, this sort of very disturbed, upset girl, um, and when you get into like they get into the whole backstories for each of them as they get to know each other and stuff. So you've why she's behaving the way she is and everything else. It really works, I think, quite well. There's the last maybe I don't know, half an hour of the movie is where the plot kind of kicks in and they're no longer all just hanging out in this one spot. And there are a lot of little twists that happen and I don't want to spoil them because if anybody's planning on watching it it really goes places you wouldn't expect it to go. Um but i think it does a really good job of doing that without just kind of being like ooh here's the big twist ending like it's a natural progression of things and it leads to certain characters having to make certain decisions i don't think you would predict um where things end up at all it's uh, yeah it'd be a recommend for people who are into those sort of like the yeah like, dramas about these like low level criminals and stuff
1: yeah Put
2: it's yeah, it's a bit outside the scope of what we usually talk about here, but it uh, it worked really well for me. So.
1: Nice. Anything else?
2: Uh, that would be it for me. I watched a bunch of episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I don't think we need
1: to start <laughs> going
2: through those individually. You <laughs> <laughs> you either like those or you don't.
1: Was one of them the episode with Rowdy Rowdy Piper in it?
2: No, I was watching the new season. Oh.
1: That's like the only full episode I've ever watched because someone's oh, really? like, dude, Roddy Piper's in this one. You need to watch it.
2: It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's one of those shows, like, I want to watch it, but at this point it's like 14 seasons? Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah, but you, don't, you can pretty much turn it on at any point in time and there's very, not very much of it is reliant on you knowing anything except for just what's happening in that episode. Yeah.
3: Except for the slow collapse of Rickety Cricket.
2: Yeah. Fair enough. You do you do need to follow Rickety Cricket as a character.
3: So I don't even know what that means.
2: Yeah. There's also... I mean, there are a He's few... He's somebody
3: other. they went to high school with that was super into the uh, the sister, and basically they destroy his entire life. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, it's pretty funny. Yeah, he just gets worse and worse as the seasons go on, too. I mean, there's... Brian, like, to put it this way for that show is... Remember when I said I wasn't going to talk about it? No, yeah. Um, there's there's like one season where all of a sudden one of the characters is like fat and not like a little fat like he was in good shape the season before and now he's a big fat guy and they don't mention it until like halfway through the season and then all of a sudden somebody brings it up and then there's a whole flashback episode (laughs) and he thinks he's getting fat to put on muscle mass to start like an action movie or something like that i can't remember the exact details and nobody else thinks this is happening he's the only one he's like but i thought we all agreed he's like you didn't talk to anyone else about this nobody (laughs) like nobody else thinks this so he's just been getting fat like the actor just went out and got fat for the purposes of that whole thing and Mm -hmm. then like in other seasons he'll just show up in really good shape and they'll be like well why'd you get in really good shape He's like, Oh, it's part of the plan. And they're like, How does this fit into the rest of the plan that the rest of us are doing? And he's like, No, I thought like as part of the plan I could like take my shirt off now that I'm in really good shape. Like, how would that help our plan? (laughs) It's it's like, No, see Yeah. And then it's like, Why did you get in good shape? And he's like, It's just a thing I did. Don't. It's weird. Like So anyways, yeah, I actually recommend that show to you as well. Start nice. watching it, and then we'll talk about it as you go through it.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll
2: have to. I would say watch a little bit every week on the segment where we talk about it, but last time I told the guy to do that, with the show, we had to end the podcast, so.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. We, we almost got a full season of Buffy out of him before he quit.
2: Yeah, well, was it even almost a full season? Uh, I don't know.
1: Maybe half. Half of the first season, which, yeah. is, a, which is only like six episodes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Anyways, but that was also the last time Eric wrote us a song, I think. So.
1: That's true, and then we never it's got to use it.
2: Nice to nice to be back to that era where Eric provides music for our show.
1: Maybe I'll uh, I'll start watching. It's always sunny, but we'll use the Buffy theme
2: for that segment. <laughs> It's a really, really good idea that
1: will make no sense to anyone who's not you and me. Uh, we well, actually got to the theater this week, and we went and saw Happy Death Day to You. Oh, yeah? Which, uh, I was a big fan of the first one. As am I. I'm a time travel fan, and time loops are always good and fun. Uh, so this one drops some of the horror it goes more for, like, a sci-fi tone.
2: I've um, heard that, and it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever.
1: Well, you find out what causes the time loop,
2: which okay. makes it more sci-fi.
1: Also, uh, this one also talks about alternate dimensions. Okay. Which is why, when she goes to solve the problem that we very clearly saw her solve in the first movie, everything's different. Because of an event, she's been shunted off into an alternate timeline where things are different. So now she doesn't know who the killer is. She doesn't know how to solve everything. And there's another big, big thing that pops up that makes her question if she should even try to solve the time loop problem at all. So I had a good time with it. It's not as good as the first one. A um, little less slashery. I mean, the slasher's still in there. But, I mean, that's not sort of the crux of the movie anymore. So that does kind of take away from the horrorness of it. But, I mean, if you're just in for a fun sort of uh, sci-fi ride, then you should love it.
2: Yeah. I, I liked the first one quite a bit, so I think I'm going to have to yeah. get around to the second one. But...
1: Yeah, uh it's funny because in the first movie you know at the end of the movie this guy's like have you ever seen that movie groundhog's day and she's like i have no idea what you're talking about and so he tells her about groundhog's day and how she should watch it so in this one where things get all fucked up and she is back to reliving the same day that was in the first movie but things are different he's like you know what this reminds me of back to the future too and so then they start talking like about all that stuff and i was like dying laughing the whole time that's pretty funny Hmm. So, I mean, recommend. Like I said, it's not as good as the first one, so don't expect that going in, but it could still be a good time. Uh, And then after we got done with that, uh, oh, so we dropped uh, MoviePass because they got really shitty, Yeah. but decided to give uh, AMC's A-Lists a a go, Um, because if we just go to two movies a month, then we totally like, get our money's worth out of it. So we decided, fuck it, let's go see another movie since we're already here. Yep. And so we're like, all right. So we ended up going to see uh, the Lego Movie Part 2. Or the Lego Movie 2, the second part, as it's called. Yeah. Um, Not as good as the first one.
2: (laughs) You're just going to give the exact same review again.
1: Yeah. This one deals with... uh... Oh, this one also has Back to the Future references and time travel. I just thought about that. Um, yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, you're I the, the time loop. It sounds like
1: yeah, pretty much. The thing I loved about the first movie is just seeing all this stuff sort of come together, like all these different uh, properties and whatever. They don't do that as much in this one. Um, the interesting thing is. Uh, so this takes place in real time, like five years since the last movie. And the re- reason we find out the reason they live in like a post-apocalyptic wasteland is because the kid got older and got bored with all the cartoony storylines, and just made them live in this like messed up wasteland. <laughs> and to- telling all these like post-apocalyptic stories, which I thought was pretty funny.
2: Yeah.
0: I still um, haven't
1: seen the first one, so. Oh, you should watch the first one. It's good. Um. Yeah, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to get into. I just feel like there's not as much of a story in this one as there was in the first one, even though it does initially start off like right after the first movie ended. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's missing something, and I don't really know what it is. And unfortunately, it doesn't uh, doesn't really recover. So, still worth a watch if you. What's
2: that? Is it possible that it's just missing the uniqueness and originality of being the first one?
1: Uh, maybe. I mean, that's definitely part of it. I felt the same way with like, uh, like Guardians two. Like it's still like decent, but it's just not the first, first time seeing yeah, the first movie.
2: Yeah, you you know what to expect, so you're not yeah. as it's not as much fun to see it. Yeah, yeah and you know, a lot of the sequels.
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it just loses a little bit. It's still a good time. There's still some funny references that I was laughing about. Um, yeah, I don't know. The interesting thing is, so you haven't seen the first one. The first one ends. Everybody, you know, like, hey, we uh, we did it, and they start celebrating, and then the spaceship shows up, and it turns out the uh, the characters from the Duplo world have showed up. Which if anybody doesn't know what Duplo is, it's like the bigger version of Lego for like really little kids. And so then this one that's where it starts off with Duplo invading the Lego town or whatever the fuck it's called. And then when they get to this movie, it just doesn't seem like they did as much with it as I'd kinda hope they would, but yeah. Like I said, it's not horrible. It's just sequelitis, maybe. Yeah. Uh and then the last thing I watched was a movie called Windchill. Have you ever seen this
2: before? I believe this one has been on my watch list since it came out. It's like right. 15 years old now. Is that right? It's
1: uh, 2007. Okay, never heard of it. Never heard of it? Yep. I think uh, the first time I'd heard of it was actually on Horror Etc. I think uh, Ted may have recommended it.
2: Yeah, so uh, it was probably on my watch list uh, just like a few days before that episode came out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um so this movie star it's it's so weird cuz this movie stars Emily Blunt. The thing I didn't realize until I started it is this was made by uh, Steven Soderbergh and George Clooney's company. So I go to put in cuz I bought like the Blu-ray on Amazon is like super cheap and it's actually got like two other full it's like a triple pack. Two other movies I'd never heard of, and I think it was only like seven fifty when I bought it or something. And I've been wanting to see this movie forever, so I was like, I'll just pick it up. So it's weird you put it in. You know, this movie didn't make like a big splash or anything. Emily Blunt's in it, and then all of a sudden it's like executive producer Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> executive producer George Clooney. I'm just like, what the fuck? And I was like, oh shit, their production company made this. I didn't even realize. Um, so Emily Blunt plays this character in college. She's uh, going home I don't, don't really remember where they said that they started that. She's going home to Delaware and I guess at th- some point they say it's like a six hour drive home um, and so this college has like rideshare boards where if you're like going somewhere uh, like I think this one they're going home for Christmas it's like Christmas break so like if, if you need a ride somewhere you would go check this board and then if somebody's already going that way, you can hitch a ride with them, and then you know you split gas and stuff, fifty-fifty type thing. So she's going home, she doesn't she doesn't really want to take the bus, but someone's like, hey, why don't you try the ride board? Sees someone who's going to Delaware, so ends up uh, agreeing to ride with him. And he's kind of a weirdo. He's just kind of like Says some weird shit, and it all ends up making sense when you you know watch through the movie of kind of what his deal is or whatever. Um, so they ended up taking what he calls a shortcut, and just like off the off the expressway, just the sort of road that I mean literally looks like no one should ever drive down it because it doesn't look like there's anything there. But of course they drive down it. Um, It's dark out, Uh, it's been snowing pretty heavily. So the road hasn't been plowed super well and there's a bridge coming up and they see uh, another car coming, but the car does not take any precautions not to run them off the road, which happens. And of course they end up getting stuck. So they're stuck there. Uh, The guy says he's gonna walk back to this gas station they had stopped at. But that's gonna at least gonna be a couple hour walk. Um, so she's sitting in the she's sitting in the car, and she sees this weird guy just walk down the road. And again, there's like nothing around. So she gets out, tries to talk to him, and he disappears into the woods. And then her ride friend shows up again. And there's sort of like this tension between them, of she doesn't feel like he's telling the truth about a bunch of stuff, and they sort of just go back and forth. Like, you know, being suspicious of each other. But there's, like, nothing around, so they pretty much have to hang out in the car. And they keep it running until the, you know, gas runs out. And so then it's getting, like, 30 degrees below zero that night. So they're pretty much stuck in the car and just have to kind of wait it out till morning. But then a bunch of really weird shit starts happening where this police officer shows up. And then starts getting really aggressive with the girl and telling her to get in his car, and she won't. And then the guy like tries to hit him with like a tire iron to get him off of her. And then as soon as he hits him, they both wake up in their car again. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And then they'll see like some other, some other people end up walking down the road and weird shit will happen. So we find out this road has a stretch. This stretch of road... Seems to have a lot of tragedies on it. And uh, it's almost like that type of ghost story where um, it keeps like repeating the trauma over and over again. So they sort of end up seeing the same people like almost like in the cycle. They keep showing up on this road. But every time they try to like interact with them, like some shit goes horribly wrong. So they end up, you know, having to try to figure out how they're going to solve this, what's going to happen, and not, you know, die before the sun comes up. Um, I was a big fan of it. I really liked it. It's definitely not... It's not something you've seen before. Which is always good. So, I thought it was pretty interesting. Original. um, Yeah, definitely worth a watch. I'm kind of bummed that this movie has not been seen by more people because I really enjoyed it thought it was really good so if you like ghost stories sort of uh uh, urban legend stories like this is you end up finding out like some urban legend type stuff about this area throughout the movie and everything so it's really good and it's 2007 so they do have cell phones but they're the old cell phones so but the, it, it at least helps with the like well I can just google that and find out like you know they can't really do that yet which is getting harder and harder in movies to to be like why don't you just look that up on your phone because then the movie would be over and it'd be really boring
2: yeah. well there's usually a single line of dialogue that can get rid of cell phones
1: yeah exactly yeah, recommend for me if it's been on your to-watch list, then I would push it up towards the top. All right. I'll see if I can get to it. Uh, you won't. You'll forget I even talked about it. And then about six months, you'll be like, I watched this great movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's also plausible. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Next week,
1: Doug, why don't you tell us what we're watching?
2: uh we are finally going to get to one of the first shows that we put on the list of upcoming shows uh actual classic horror films um we're going to be doing master and the demonic toys of course which we i think we should just promise now we are not setting ourselves up for 14 straight weeks of Puppet Master 2, Demonic Toys 2, Puppet Master 3, Demonic Toys 3, <laughs> <laughs> just the one show dedicated to the... Uh...
3: Hey, hey guys, I just came up with a great idea wow. for, for the shows for
2: the next 14 weeks. Well, we don't have the intros recorded for all of them, so we can't well, number, get
1: that done. Number one, there's not enough Demonic Toys movies to help with that. so
3: We could just cycle in other mini-monster movies.
1: Ugh. And We are definitely not reviewing Puppet Master versus demonic toys.
2: I think I tried to watch that once and couldn't get through it. Oh, so bad! Is that Feldman as a scientist?
1: Feldman as an old man scientist.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the one I tried to watch one time. So use
1: that Hall- never- use that Halloween stuff that you spray in your hair, and he just sprayed it in gray, and that was it. That's what made him an old man.
3: Yeah, oh. fucking Feldman.
1: That's also the movie. I realized like. How is it possible for you to become a worse actor as you've gotten older?
2: It's weird, right?
3: Yeah.
1: So he's a really good like child actor and was even decent up through like his his like young his teens or whatever. But as an adult, I'm just like you're fucking terrible.
2: What happened? Did you see the big news involving Feldman signing on to be in a Friday the Thirteenth fan film? Oh, that's just sad. It's being directed by the girl, one of the girls that was in part 5 uh, so weird the so studios bad. just won't make Friday the 13th movies so the actors and stuff have to just make their own now
1: well I mean you gotta wait till this whole rights issue is over with
2: no they don't just figure your shit out
1: <laughs> somebody pay somebody let's get going
2: yeah just go in a room and keep saying bigger numbers till one guy drops out that's how you do it problem solved I hate that Hollywood thinks that if they have, like, like oh, we can't do things because of rights issues, just negotiate the issues better. What's the fucking problem?
1: <laughs> well, because we don't want to give up stuff because then we have to give up stuff on every
2: movie. Blah, 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 blah. Fucking Hollywood. That's what I say, too. I, I get so sick of it. I'm just like, I don't understand why you guys think this is a problem.
3: Well, you know, we own the TV rights and they own the movie rights, but a third party owns the character rights, so we can't really do anything with
2: any of it. Yeah. Anyways.
1: Just like, uh, has anybody watched the new, uh, Child's Play trailer?
2: Yeah. I watched a trailer for a movie and the words Child's Play splashed across the screen, but I didn't see a (laughs) trailer for a Child's Play movie. What what the hell? Like why the fuck are they doing that? Especially when there's uh, still new child's play stuff coming.
1: Well, this is the reason. MGM owns the named Childs Play and the first movie. But
2: so why Don, they would be dicks about it though.
1: Don Mancini owns the characters. And they decided, well we can make some money off Child's Play, so let's make our own remake and Everybody else is not happy about but it.
2: But does the child's play name mean that much that you couldn't just make a different killer doll movie and then you could do your weird robot doll thing that they're clearly doing that is not <laughs> like if that doll doesn't have a serial killer in it, then what's the point of calling it child's play?
1: Yeah, could call it chopping mall.
2: Yeah. If they do a chopping mall remake, I'll be super pissed. <laughs> yeah, like Oh, could you imagine? You're going to get me worked up. I got to I gotta work tomorrow. You can, I can't be up all night angry, about a potential <laughs> Chopping Mall remake.
1: This is fucking bullshit.
2: Where there's no, there's no robots in it, and I'm just fucking losing my mind angry.
1: <laughs> Doug's going to stomp upstairs, wake up his girlfriend, and she's going to be like, what, what, is, is Lando okay? Do we need to go to the doctor? <laughs> He's going to be like, no. Could you imagine if they made a Chopping Mall remake? That's <laughs> bullshit. Uh, he,
3: he, you look at you, like, get the fuck out. He, <laughs> he was out there shopping around a TV series.
2: Yes, at one point. Oh, that, that's,
1: that's happening. Sci-Fi has picked it up.
2: I'm all in favor of that, because I just... As long as, like, you, you got a whole mall, right? So you got, like, by the time you get to the, each store, a different set of teenagers stays overnight in it, and they just oh. fuck, constantly run amok of the... You're
1: talking about a chopping mall series. That's oh.
2: What about the... Uh, you're talking about the Child's Play one.
1: Well, there's there's going to be a Child's Play.
2: And that's set in <laughs> I, the canon. That that's set in the canon universe, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. So, I'm all down for that. I'll like, and I'm not even against. Like, I don't think the remake looks bad. I just don't think it's a remake of Child's Play, and I don't understand why they fuck with properties that way. Yeah. Just make a different movie.
1: Yeah. Well, he said Chucky in the trailer, so people are instantly like, "Oh, Chucky! Yeah, we gotta go see that. We like those Chucky movies."
2: But who, who, like who, who are they fooling with that? Like I normies, just,
1: Doug, normies.
2: I guess I just don't understand the normie world. I don't understand how they live their lives. Me neither. And How they could possibly like see that and associate it with the child's play films? I don't.
1: Sometimes there's like people I have to explain shit to that I'm just like, this is this is like amateur bullshit. Like, how could you not get this? And then I have to realize, oh, they're a normie. They don't, they don't know. It's just why I wear
2: headphones every time I leave the house.
1: <laughs> don't you bring your normie bullshit into my life.
2: I don't want it. I don't need it. Uh. What's uh. that bell? Uh, I don't know. Everybody else heard a bell, right?
1: <laughs> my cat's like picking around on my desk, so he probably heard something.
2: Okay. It's uh, reminding me of like church where they ring the bell just like this is the part where you have to listen. Everybody, wake up! I think that's why they ring that bell. I don't know.
1: Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
0: And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight